0: And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. I'm your guest host, Alan Yee, President of Guidance Planning. Today, my guest is Eric Rains, an attorney with Albrecht and Barney. Eric is a certified specialist in estate planning, trust, probate law by the State Bar of California's Board of Specialization. Eric, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Right, Well, that said, let's start with a brief overview of your background. Sure, so um,
1: I'm an attorney with Albrecht and Barney. All we do is trust and estates work for clients all throughout California. Our offices are in Irvine, California, Orange County. And I think we are the largest collection of estate planning attorneys under one roof. All of us do estate planning. Uh, most of us are certified specialists, which as you mentioned earlier, Uh, What it is, is you take the bar exam. If you've been practicing for a certain number of years in an area of practice, you can go take effectively a second bar exam just in that area of practice. And then you can hold yourself out as a certified specialist. So we take on clients and families uh, all across the spectrum of different sizes, and we help them with their estate plan. So planning for incapacity,
0: planning for what happens after they pass, and uh, that's all we do. That's great. You know, I've never heard of the the certified specialist part. I've heard many of folks that are estate planners and they they have their law degree. But how, how does that extra layer of expertise differ from? I hate to say the the, the regular or the next uh, attorney. But you know, how, how does that specialization help with the knowledge base that you that you find working with your clients?
1: It's interesting. So I was really reluctant to get my certified specialist certification. For a long time, because I honestly, I just felt like it was a money grab from the state bar that I was going to have to pay them um, every year to just be able to put this on my bio that I was a certified specialist. And I thought, you know, I'm I'm already handling, you know, really large, complicated estates. I don't need something at the the end of my name saying I'm a certified specialist. And I was completely wrong. When I went to study for the exam, I talked to uh, one of my partners, Anson. And he was already a certified specialist. And what's the best way to study? He says, grab the probate code, read it from start to finish. And so I did. And I realized, so you can think of yourself as a great estate planner who has celebrity clients, who has billionaire clients, you're doing international planning, you're doing cutting edge, really sophisticated work. But there are things you probably don't do, like conservatorships or guardianships. There are all these different areas of the probate code that you just never turn to. And so becoming a certified specialist, only 2% of that is focused on the highest and most sophisticated planning. But I, when I see someone who's a certified specialist, I know that they, they know the probate code cover to cover. And they're more familiar with it. It's, it's about having a broader range of your practice. And so they're, I think there are fantastic attorneys out there who aren't certified specialists. But for me, that was how it was really helpful is there were things that would come up and say, Eric, someone needs a conservator. That's okay, go talk to Julie or Samantha. These are people I refer out to do conservatorship work because I don't do it because, frankly, it's not as interesting or as lucrative for me in my practice. I have to stay focused. And just taking that exam and studying for it uh, just made me more comfortable. It eliminated for me or it limited the
0: unknown unknowns in my practice. That's great. Yeah. And I, and I love that quote about n- at least knowing some of the unknowns that we know and we don't know. So that's great. Well, how, how did you get into law and specifically into the area of estate planning? What led you down that path? Yeah. So those
1: are two interesting questions. So I was an undergrad and I was thinking I wanted to be like a city manager or a county manager. That's why I, I was thinking when I went into undergraduate. And I was just touring the campus one day. I, like, I would go walk and see the art building and the architecture building. It was just strolling around. It was just like killing time. And I walked into the law school and I, I knew I kind of wanted to go into government, but not to be an elected official. I didn't want to like cut ribbons and kiss babies. I wanted to like try to make the world better. And I, I was pretty familiar with the jobs that were available coming out of public service school. And I, I was just walking through the law school and it was coincidence. It happened to be like kind of job fair season, at the law school and they had all these job postings and they were in government, they were making more money than I was thinking I was gonna make as a city manager. And they seem more interesting, like, uh, you know, running uh, the office of Senate majority leader or whatever. And the pay was better. And I quickly realized I was a lot better at reading and writing and logic than I was at math. And, and being a city manager, you have to know a lot of math. So I just, I made the switch and that was a pretty easy one. When I thought about it more, and I did do a a little stint in public service right out of law school, but my goal kind of, that as I developed, as I went to law school, I had this vision of myself sitting in an office and just kind of helping people in the community solve their issues with their business and their family. I don't know why, but that's what I envision. And I kind of tell people, you know, when they give you those aptitude tests in high school. And it says, oh, you should be a plumber. You should be an electrician. You should be an architect. Mine would have said like high school guidance counselor. I love to just sit down with people and help them plan for the future. And what I do is very similar to that. is I get paid a little better than high school guidance counselor. And so um, th- if I'm going to have to be a lawyer, because I end up going to law school because I saw all those job offerings on the wall, this was a really good fit for me. And so... That's how I made the transition to thinking, okay, I want to do something. I didn't really know what estate planning was my first year of law school, but I just had this vision for myself. As I took some classes, I realized that estate planning was probably not the best fit for me. And so I went and found someone in my hometown. He graduated from my law school a long time ago. He was like in his seventies. He had his own practice, his own building. He'd actually served in the state legislature for a while and now did estate planning. And I said, I had a meeting with him, like a coffee meeting. I said, I wanna be you. Uh, what do I need to do to be just like you? And he said, you should go work at the DA's office. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't wanna be a judge. I don't wanna be a criminal defense lawyer. I wanna be like you. And he says, no, no, I understand. In Las Vegas, which is where I graduated high school, if you go work for the DA's office, you handle criminal cases for a couple of years, but then you can there's opportunity to lateral over to the civil division And when you're in the civil division, you're effectively general counsel to the county commissioners of Clark County, Nevada. And those seven people run the entire state. He's like, you will get to know all the power players in the state of Nevada. He's like, then come back and see me. If you've done that for a couple of years, I'll teach you how to do a state plan. It's pretty easy, but I want you to build your network. So I was a DA straight out of law school for two years. And I thought I wanted to move back to Nevada. But being a DA, I realized I did not want to raise my family in Las Vegas, after prosecuting really serious cases and all the neighborhoods that I thought were the best neighborhoods in town, I realized, okay, I need to think about other places that I wanna raise my family. My daughter was born and it was like a light switch went off in my head. I signed up for the California bar the next day and I got a headhunter looking for estate planning positions. I, I had grown up also in Orange County and I had a state planter, um, headhunter looking for estate planning positions in Orange County, but it was right about the time when I was looking, when all the large firms started jettisoning jettisoning their estate planning practices. So it was really difficult to find a job. And everyone, I got a couple interviews, but people were like, look, you have a Yale Law School degree. Uh, You have two years of trial experience. Why am I gonna hire you and train you to do estate planning? Because why wouldn't you leave and go be a litigation attorney at a big firm and make triple the salary? And I had a bunch of people tell me that. They'd only offer me litigation, trust litigation jobs, which isn't what I wanted. So I was like, okay, I better go to plan B And plan B for me was, well, I will go take one of those jobs at the big firm, save up some money and go get an LLM in estate planning or in tax and sort of demonstrate my commitment to the field and then, you know, get back into it. And after a while of working at a large firm, I sort of talked to people and they said, you know, you don't really need an LLM to do estate planning at a high level. So I took that money that I saved up. I started my own practice and then I joined Albrecht and Barney. And that's where I'm at now. So it's kind of a long-winded answer. My my route from being like a first-year uh, law student envisioning myself being something like an estate planner to being in the seat I'm in now—it's uh, some twists and turns, but it worked out. And I, I I encourage like people I know who are just graduating law school to take on those challenges and do different things because um, like working at a at a really large law firm taught me like. It is like brain surgery at those firms. They charge so much that everything has to be perfect. And so you really look over every email five times. You go over everything with a fine tooth comb. And when you cut your teeth there, you just practice in a different way. And, I, and ironically, even I think being a, uh, a DA helped me to this day because uh, it. I used to be so diplomatic, which is really helpful in my job. But you also have to learn to say no to people. And as a DA, you have to say no to people because everyone's trying to haggle a deal from you. People are bombarding you, uh, surprising you. And so I think both of those experiences made me a more balanced planner and especially having a litigation background. I think one of the pitfalls of some of the advanced planning out there is there are some advanced planners who have never handled any litigation and they'll say, and they'll say, oh, this scheme will work with this trust and this LLC and the sale into this other state. Because look, I found this. If you take this one sentence out of a PLR from 1973, and you take this paragraph from a press release by the IRS in, um, you know, 2012, and then you look at this one paragraph from this dissent in a case, it works. And I'm like, well, that's an argument, but that's not precedent. And as a litigator, you realize some of the risks inherent in. Uh, planning in an environment where you don't have clear guidance from courts. And so uh, again, I think, I think all these experiences, if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking about going to law school or or they're young in their practice, I would say don't be afraid of trying out different things. Don't, don't be unsettled when you don't get your dream job right away, because you're going to take things out of all of your experiences that you couldn't uh, imagine. And, and I, Really learned a lot from Colleen Barney, who's the Barney and Albrecht and Barney. And she's the office right next to me. And we would always talk about how for us, like customer service is paramount. Like I was in Las Vegas when I was in high school and I worked at restaurants and movie theaters. And she was like a hostess during college. And when you cut your teeth in customer service, like there's so many really good estate planning attorneys out there that, that, you know, clients will come to me and they'll complain that they shoot off an email. And they don't hear back for weeks or months. But for me, I I get to my emails within 24 hours, like at the latest. Like it really bothers me to think that there's a call in my answering machine message or there's an email and someone's not getting a response. So even just taking a customer service job, there are all these things that you do. And it's just interesting now to have all these gray hairs to look back and realize like how working at the movie theater has made me a better estate planning attorney.
0: Yeah, I think all those skills probably serves you real well in, in serving your clients. Uh, particularly the part about being the high school guidance counselor. I think you know the best attorneys and and the folks that I've worked with have been the folks that have been able to guide people through different areas of, of planning, whether it's estate planning and and and, and the such. Um, but as as far as Albrecht and, and Barney, but specifically you, you know what what does the ideal client look like? You know who do you serve? Who do you want to serve? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So I think I mean this this is a strange way of answering but when I was a DA um, I would get feedback from juries that I my demeanor was somewhere across between professorial and sort of the boy next door and I I like to explain things so a lot of people a lot of estate planning attorneys their two least favorite clients are engineers and doctors because they'll ask a lot of questions if I know how things work. But for me I actually get a ton of referrals from my doctor clients and my engineering clients, because when they ask me a question, I can explain it. Like, I, I teach a class on this and I love to draw di- so ask a question, Oh, let me show you how that works. I'll draw a diagram. And I want to communicate, I'm really visual, but I want people to understand what they're buying into with their estate plan. I want them to know the full menu of options. Some, some estate planning attorneys, it's like that saying when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I can tell that everything I've ever seen from this estate planning attorney is a life insurance trust and a charitable mater trust. It can't be that that's the best fit for every client you come across. I evaluate my own work. And if I look back and I'm designing the same trust for every one of my clients, or there's one thing that kind of everyone's making that selection, then I think, okay, I need to think of a better way to explain that because I'm really presenting it in a way that's like reinforcing my values or whatever. I'm leading the client. Into a decision, I want to explain this to you, show you how it works, and then let you make an informed decision. And that, that to answer your question, that method, that style tends to work better with some clients than others. So i I look at where am I getting referrals from with my clients, and you know the clients that are really well educated, that are CEOs, that have advanced degrees, that really want to communicate and understand and ask questions are the ones that give me a lot of referrals. It's not that I don't do well with some little lady. I get gift baskets from little old ladies because they, I make them feel comfortable, but I feel like I'm not, I'm not going at full speed. I'm not really digging into the details with them. And, and as I get older, right. And more experienced, you learn how to explain things, how to shift gears depending on your audience. And so I was at lunch the other day with the referral source and he says, Eric, I love referring to you because unlike every other state planning, I refer clients to My clients come back when I ask them what happened, they can explain what happened. Like you get people to understand, like you teach people, you show. And when I was at the large law firm, I just, something really stuck in my head that one, one of the huge partners was talking about how he won some massive case. And he just got in front of the client. All of these other law firms were pitching to take the work, And he just said, "This is really simple. Here's the three things you need to worry about." And he said, "Really great attorneys can take something really complicated and make it really simple, whether it's for the client or for the for the jury. And I think that's for me, the more I work on the back end to understand how these things work and work on the tools that I use and refine them to explain them, I can take something really complicated, but get it to the point where during our ninety minute meeting, you feel like you understand how a charitable remainder of trust works in and out and why we do it as opposed to just relying on the charm that I have or my smile or the things I say to make you feel comfortable and like, okay, I trust Eric. Um, I want to make you feel like you understand it. And I, I, as I've gotten more senior in my career and dealt with all different kinds of people and all their different ways of learning and, and processing information, then I, I've I've gotten pretty confident that I'm good at finding you, Alan, and, and, and your spouse and getting you to the point where I know how much information you guys need to feel like you know, and you, you're digesting what we're saying. And it might be different for, for you than my client with like four PhDs in, in science fields, right? They're going to be more like technical. They want to j- just run like my engineering clients. They want to know like, why do we have this switch here, Eric? I'm like, oh, i am glad you asked because I can show you. And I actually learned a lot from my uh, my dentist, like a good friend of mine. He has the best bedside manner. He just dorks out about every little thing he's using. Like, he's like, okay, you see this pick, and it's with this process and, and it's faster. And the reason it's faster. And, and, you just like, and you're like, man, if that guy's excited about it, I'm excited about it. And I think that's just the way I try to present. Um, and so my ideal client is probably, I like my, you know, people that have started a, a business, people who have um, advanced degrees, people who are, you know, kind of made their way in, in the corporate world. Uh, we tend to be really good fit. Like it's one of those things that's just peas and carrots and they really like me and I get referrals. So like there's a big public company in town and I've done like the entire C suite or I'll do one partner at a firm. And then I'm doing like the whole partnership because it's just like, we speak the same language And the more they dig, the more I have to offer. Whereas like some clients who I've had clients like, Eric, just tell me what to do. I can do that and and we'll get along, but I'm probably not delivering as much value as I am to like an engineering client.
0: That's great. Yeah, I think I can see that within the tone of your voice and what you're saying of of wanting to uh, deliver value. Um, What are the challenges these clients face and how do you overcome them? And, And I think part of that for me specifically is, you know, with 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 the ever changing landscape of of estate planning and tax law, is there anything different now than what it may look like when the tax law sunsets and and the exclusion decreases, or or do you think it's just something that it's it's business as usual?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. So um, people ask me like, why, again, why do you, Eric, why do you do a estate planning? They don't they don't believe that I would, would want to do this, and I tell them it's like a two part answer to your question: what what were the challenges my clients face? So some of my clients have, have really large tax issues, and I've saved clients hundreds of millions of dollars in tax, like on, on one client. Um, and to get there, it's not simple. There's no form that lets co- Congress lets you sign, and you just take $100 million away from the IRS, right? It's, it's really complicated. And on the higher end, those difficult cases really test your IQ, because you're really threading the needle through, I don't want to say loopholes, but uh, um, opportunities in the tax code. And to get through all the opportunities in the way that's best for your client, it can be really difficult because the rules are fuzzy. It's very esoteric. It's very abstract and tests your IQ. But every single client tests your emotional intelligence. And so I can get two people in front of me, that have a have a non-taxable estate. They're never that we don't we're not really worried about taxes, worried about probate fees, but the issues are emotional and they can be emotional psychological. And so when you say what challenges your clients facing, the the main challenges that I confront are um you know we have a blended family. And so husband has three kids, wife had two kids and they have two kids together. And wife has large inheritance or husband has, large, and it's not, it's uneven. And, you know, it's easy to like, just put, get, take a standard form and put their names and social critters and kids' birth dates in it. But to get to the bottom of what do they really want, um, it is challenging or a business owner. And maybe we do need to do some tax planning and this person's whole life, their identity is built around being the CEO. Everyone kisses their Iran. No one ever says no to them. They have a little bar on the desk that says Mr. President or whatever it is. And it's time to give that up because um, in order to get some tax advantages, you have to relinquish little control. But it's not as simple as relinquishing control. It's parting with your identity. So I had like one client who came to me and he started this business is wildly successful. He could not give up one iota of control. He's like, Eric, when I was starting this business, the banks tried to screw me, you know, the, the, my competitors tried to steal from me. I just cannot give up control. And I said, well, let me lay out the numbers for you. I said, I want to see you again in nine months because you're not ready. we we'll is sleep on this. And he came back in like nine months and two weeks, like I'm ready to do it. And it was like a grand slam for their family, but he just had to process it. And most of the time we try to get people to make decisions, but sometimes you know, it's again, as you get more experience in the field, like just recognizing that this person is not ready to make this decision. You don't make an emotional 90 degree turn and go from this is how you always envision things to this is how it's gonna end up. Because the worst estate plans I ever see when I see someone else's trusts are the ones where the estate planning attorney is just sitting there like a court reporter taking down whatever the client wants cuz clients don't realize how things turn out like i i do a lot of trust administration work which is helping people after someone passes away and i see how things go wrong and how they actually develop when you put something in writing you know you have your business going to one son and your real estate going to the other son But then the business declined, you added more real estate and now it's uneven 30 years later, maybe we have to go to court to fix it or whatever. So getting clients to depart from that vision that they have, that tunnel vision going into the meeting where they think everything's going to unfold like this, my kids are going to outlive me, the business is going to grow at this rate. I'm going to invest this much in real estate. And so, like, so I know it's fair, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But, but knowing and realizing as an advisor that there are 18 different things that can happen from here to there in the next six months, let alone 35 years from now when your spouse dies, we need to think about this. We need, I need to back, you to back up. We need to think about this from 30,000 feet and try to simplify. And I tell people all the time, it's like that, I, I don't know if Mark Twain said it, but it's like that Mark Twain saying, I'm sorry, I wrote you a 20-page letter. I didn't have time to write you a two-page letter. I'm really big on simplifying. That's what's going to hold the test of time. That's going to be simple, elegant, robust. And so, sometimes the the problem that the client's facing is their mind. They have a certain set of values they want to, you know, govern from the grave, and they think that life is going to unfold in this one way. And the big problem that that I have to help them overcome is to get them real to realize, like, you know, what if. What if your kid becomes an artist? What if your kid becomes incapacitated? What if your kid passes away before you? What if your business? And so to get them out of that tunnel vision of what they want. So the tax issues, like I mean, I think it was the focus of your question, are fascinating, and it's really difficult. And I could, you know, bore the audience with like the tax advice that I'm giving. Um, but yeah, there are. I think of it. I I'm getting a. I got a lot of calls before the end of last year. Eric, I want to uh, you know, take advantage of the fact that the exemption might drop. And I was telling people, look, this is like a lot of things in life. It's a great opportunity for the super, super, super rich, but not for all the rest of us schmucks. And if you have $20 million, like under your, uh, between your couch cushions at home, like let's give it away. It's a no brainer. But if you're sitting at an estate a of like 24, $30 million, it, it doesn't, you're not really going to be able to take full advantage of this. Like some of the other clients are. And as a matter of fact, like I do a lot of pushing back against advice that some people are getting, whether it's from the internet or from a financial advisor about like super funding slaps or doing something that just to, t- you're, just to take advantage of this tax deal, you're going to do something that if, if you get divorced, if one spouse dies prematurely is going to be a huge disaster. And um, I, one of my partners called me the other day she was looking at a plan that someone else did and they did all this advanced charitable planning to um, mitigate some capital gains. And then the spouse died like a month after it was done. And it would, the death would have would have erased all the capital gains anyways. And so now they had locked up all this wealth for charity. If if that's what they wanted to do, it was great, but you generally don't do this planning. If you want to get a charity, you just give a charity. And so Getting people to step outside what they've envisioned when they walked into the room and helping them understand we need to plan for all different sorts of contingencies is is really, I think, the challenge for most people, whether they're thinking about what their neighbor did for tax planning or whether they haven't thought about, you know what, we have all these children and stepchildren, what really happens if one of us passes away or both of us pass away? And so going back to what I started this little paragraph with, um, you know, the, the part that's emotionally challenging about this job is I have to get two people I've never met before sitting across the table from me or across the Zoom from me, and in 10 minutes, get them to open up about death, taxes, which kid they don't trust with money, which brother one of them doesn't really like, and sometimes... They're just really thankful because it, all of those issues are 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 easy for them to solve, but they're glad that they're having someone guide them through it. And other times, there's a lot of scar tissue there. And when we really dig deep, in order which, which we have to do in order to make a good estate plan, we uncover a lot of issues that are really sensitive for the clients, and that's okay. And that's that's where you know you, as you get the gray hairs, you realize when it's time to push the gas and when it's time to slow down in terms of the meeting. And when it's time to just call the meeting and say, look, let me give you, I want you guys to think about these three issues. And we're going to set another meeting um, in three months. And if you wake up every day for 14 days with the exact same thought on these issues, then call me. We'll we'll have said earlier meeting, but you really need to process these. And so it's a long way of saying it really depends what what the major issue is for my clients. I always think it's funny that there's always something based on their life does it illustrate this another way, like some people, they really don't care about where their stuff goes. They go through the whole meeting and they talk through the whole thing with me and more fill out the healthcare directive. And it comes to the part of whether to pull the plug or not. That's the one thing they get excited. That's the only reason they're paying me any money is just to make sure that someone pulls the plug or doesn't pull the plug if they're incapacitated and the rest of it, they don't care. Sometimes it's guardianship, Sometimes it's they, you know, maybe their stepmother changed the estate plan after their dad died and they got disinherited. So it's about, look, if I die, my spouse gets remarried, I want protection against that. Um, sometimes it's they've seen a nephew get a trust fund and then develop a substance abuse problem. So what their real sensitive pressure pain point is, uh, is determined a lot by their experience. And so that's why you have to be careful. And, and people, the feedback I get, I tell a lot of jokes and stories during my meetings and I tell people like I'm a magician who just like hand waving over here so that you don't see me uh, switch the ball around. You don't realize what we're talking about because I want to take the pressure off of the way that you're thinking about, you're used to thinking about this issue that's really painful for you. And I. this is focused on solutions. And so that's the, that's the trick, I think.
0: That's great. And it's very apparent that you're not a court reporter because I can tell that all the, conversations and everything you do is very dynamic and you can help lead folks to where they want to go. Well, I, 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 as I was prepping for our meeting, I I noticed a couple of things on your bio, one of which uh, I, like you, I I teach classes. Mine are actually on retirement planning at Pasadena and uh, Glendale Community College, but I see that you teach an estate planning class at UC Irvine. You know, what's that about?
1: Yeah, so I, I teach a class to financial advisors who are trying to get uh, certified financial planner certification and in order to get that certification you take this big challenging test. And frankly, I don't know that much about the test, but I know that there are different components to it. And so UCI puts on a program where like week, you know, for the cert- first certain part of the class, you're meeting with a retirement planning specialist and next week, life insurance, et cetera. And I know there's a, a section on estate planning. I happen to know how estate planning works. So um, I get up there and I teach the class to these people who are looking for Uh, looking to learn so they can pass this test and get their certification. And there are two different ways you can take the class. One is the long way where you, you know, meet with each teacher throughout the week for several weeks. And then there's the crash course way. And I teach the crash course way where I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about everything you need to know about estate planning in two weekends and Saturday and Sunday, each Saturday, and each Sunday is eight hours. So uh, it's, it's always great because it get it refines my skills. There's some things that I don't always that I don't necessarily think about on a day to day basis. Even some of the advanced planning that I have to teach, like maybe around GRATS that aren't as popular nowadays, or or certain say, planning tools that are, are falling out of favor because there's either something that superseded it, or it doesn't make any sense in a given interest rate environment. But I have stuff to, to teach it, so it's always a good refresher for me to have. Not only just a comprehensive understanding of everything in my practice area, but also it refines my ability to teach it. Because it's the same thing, I, if anyone ever asks me to present, obviously whether it's in this class or you know some financial advisor come ask me to present to their clients, I'm like, good, just give me like something to write on, because I love getting in front of people, having them just throw questions at me, and I'll figure out what's the best way to communicate this, and I'll start drawing it out because I'm really visual, and that's what I do. In this class I think it's the feedback that I've gotten from the students has been really positive it's been rewarding for me it's a nice break from um you know the pressurized situation of of having clients in front of you and having like actual decisions that are going to change someone's life whereas you're just kind of you know teaching people I like that and so it's a it's a great break and just I have I get a lot of good feedback and then I have relationships also with some of those people as they move on in their careers they know me from the class and they'll bring me questions about their clients, et cetera. And it's good to see now that I'm getting older, some of those people I've taught several classes ago are now building their careers as financial advisors. And so, yeah, it's been a great experience for me.
0: Well, as a CFP certificate, I would tell you that taking these courses from folks like you that, are, that have deep knowledge bases are extremely helpful. And I also agree with you that you know teaching a class really keeps us on top of our games because I, I get that question quite often, you know, why do you teach these classes? And I, and I said, echo exactly what you just said in order for me to keep up to date or perhaps review the things that are nuanced, I have to make sure I understand and command that, that, that uh, knowledge. Um, so I, I'm sure we can probably speak for hours, but uh, in, in closing, I want to thank everybody for listening uh, today. And this has been the Le- uh, legacy leaders podcast with your guest host, Alan Yi. My guest today was Eric Raines. Uh, for more information on Eric and what he does, uh, visit his website. It's www.albrechtbarney.com. We'll link that information as well as his contact information in the show notes. Uh, Eric, before we sign off, do you have any parting words?
1: No, I don't. I mean, I, I think it's if you have any questions, it's always worth a call to an estate planning attorney, whether it's me or someone else. I, you know, I only help people in California. Um, most people will talk to you at no charge to see what's going on and it, what we handle is everything you've ever worked for uh to make sure it's in place so it's probably worth a call if you're if you're listening to this and you're sitting on the fence about whether to do something i would suggest that you do it
0: yeah i agree eric i would say uh if if uh, eric is local to you I, I would certainly reach out to eric uh if he's not then i agree with him you know look for for a great estate planner Uh, probably one that's probably a certified specialist (laughs) now that I I know that that's an important credential. So again, thank you for joining me and I look forward to our next conversation. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.